Uh, The scripture today is Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, and that's page 735 in your pew Bible. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Heard recently about a little girl, first grader, who was curious because her father always brought home a briefcase stuffed full of papers that he had to work on in the evenings, and he never seemed to have time for his little girl, and it bothered her, and at some point the mother realized, I better step in here and explain why. So she took her daughter aside and said, Honey, Daddy always has so much work to do that he can't finish it all at the office, and he has has to bring his homework home and work on it here, to which the little girl replied, Well, why don't they just put him in a slower group? And I want to invite you and me to go to a slower group today, to enter into this time together in a slower mode. I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible open, stay there. If you, if you closed it back up, open it up to Luke chapter 10, because we'll, we'll uh, unpack a particular verse uh, along with some other things. And again, it's Luke chapter 10, and it, the page number is there uh, in your order of worship. But it might be worth looking at it. As you're looking for it, let me just say, I could preach on this passage every Sunday of the year in this room. And no doubt it would be money in the bank. It would hit home with a good number of us. No doubt. Apply to a whole bunch of us. Because of the kind of people we are here. Type A, but also trying to be type G. Do you remember that from long? G for what? Grace. Remember that? But we are type A people here, hard-working people, hard work ethic, and also because of where we live. We're just the kind of people that like to get after it and get it done. But our work can get the best of us when it becomes a distraction to our devotion to God. That's where we're going today. Are we going to be distracted or devoted? Now let's open up here. Let's Go to this very familiar story, and I know that it's a very popular one in the last decade or so. There have been Bible studies centering on this very passage between Mary and Martha. But I want to see if maybe we can get something new out of it. Look at verses 38 and 39 here in Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who, at the, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what He said, okay, we know where this is going to go. She's sitting at the Lord's feet. Martha gets upset. She is so scattered with so many things, so many responsibilities. And eventually, Martha gets corrected by Jesus and Mary gets praised. But let me ask you this. Can you not sympathize with Martha? To some degree, can you not? She's not completely in the wrong. Hard work is good. Somebody has said, Martha seems more American than Mary. I don't know if that's the case, but she's got that hard work ethic. She gets after it. And it's important to understand, Martha did indeed love Jesus, as the passage says. She opened her home to him. And that was courageous back then. That was a dangerous thing to do. But she invited him into her home under her roof. She dared to do that. But here she is running around trying to host everyone 
to please everyone. Probably Jesus' 12 disciples were there with him, perhaps even more people. So he is in the midst of teaching, but all these other people need to be taken care of. And it starts to get the best of her, and she gets frustrated. Now the thing is, she did not love Jesus less. The question is, did she love Jesus best? It's kind of the difference between silver and the gold. Uh, The silver being serving that that can become a distraction, whereas gold is serving that really is rooted in devotion to Christ. I I think all of us would be willing to welcome Jesus into our homes. But, But often we upset that balance between work and worship, between service and seeking him out first. And and, and when we do that, the good becomes the enemy of the best. So it really is a matter of balance. I like the way Fred Craddock puts it. He says, if we censor Martha too harshly, she might abandon serving altogether. And if we commend Mary too profusely, she may sit there forever. There's a time to go and do. There's a time to listen and reflect. Knowing which and when is a matter of spiritual discernment. Mary was discerning. If you study this text closely, it's very clear that she had probably been helping Martha get ready with the preparations and everything. The key is, though, once Jesus got there, she dropped everything else and focused on him. At that point, the physical was not nearly as important as the spiritual. She had that discernment and that balance. But for Martha, she was still running around so worried about really worldly things that it got in the way of her focusing her devotion on Christ himself. It got out of balance and therefore the good became the enemy of the best. Well, let me ask you, is that where you are? (laughs) Have you been there lately? I think you and I struggle with that a lot. Have you ever let work distract you from your worship and your worshipful attitude? Martha really represents placing work before worship. Mary really represents the higher priority, placing worship before worship. Work And obviously, as you know, Jesus commends Mary, corrects Martha because of the lack of balance. But that leads to ask you again, does your work for Christ emerge out of your devotion for him or are you just working? As someone has said, service without devotion leads to distraction. Service without devotion leads to distraction. That's what we're unpacking this morning and let's begin unpacking it. I want you to go to verse 40 here. We have set up the scene with verses 38 and 39, but verse 40 is rich because I think it speaks to us about how having too much focus on the work and not worship can get the best of us. Let me read the first part of it here. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She was distracted. That word in the Greek is so interesting, distracted. It literally means pulled apart, pulled in multiple directions, or we might say fragmented. Now I've got to throw this in. Y'all know Greg and Sue Davis? They are scary brilliant. I don't know if you know that. They're usually in the first service and Greg always comes up to me afterwards and gives me some illustration. You know, you could have said this or here's another example. Always gives me good stuff after the fact. Thanks a lot, Greg. But it's great. And he came up and I just want to see because I don't think this would have been recognized as much in the first service, but let me ask you. He came up and said, I have a brilliant image for that. Horcruxes. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. Harry Potter. Because, because he who must not be named, can we say it in here? Voldemort, you know, delivered parts of his soul to different little containers called what? Horcruxes. 
And, you know, so he was divided, and that was an evil thing. And yet Harry, as, as Greg proclaimed, Harry stayed whole. You see, there's a, well, I can just send you all home now. No, we're not going to do that. But seriously, when we get pulled in many directions, when we get fragmented in our work, what can that do to us? Well, we know that it can burn us out, no doubt. Um, it, it can give us a sense of aimlessness and not really getting anywhere. It can also do other things. But I love what our passage here, I love what this one verse suggests in multifaceted ways, how that kind of work can get the best of us. First of all, I would say it can lead us to a real spirit of resentment. Look again at verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had been made. She, she was fragmented, pulled apart in many directions because of all the preparations that were being made. And she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, let me, let me just use that phrase. Lord, don't you care? She starts out with, don't you care? She's resentful. She's accusing Jesus of not caring. Think about that. He's in the middle of teaching. She interrupts him and says, don't you care? Are we ever guilty of the same? Do we ever get frustrated because, well, if somebody's going to do it right, it's got to be me. But then, you know, you take all this on and then you get resentful of the people around you. You wind up presenting your coworkers, family members, friends, even God himself. And we get irritable. It impacts our witness. We really do get resentful. It's almost like the, the, the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son. I've been doing all of this, Father, but you really don't care. You don't appreciate me. So we get resentful. Secondly, we can really degenerate into self-pity. Uh, let's read it again, verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care, care what? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Do we ever get a bit dramatic in our self-pity? That word there, left. She has left me here to do the work by myself. The word there for left, that's not, that doesn't depict its intensity, its loadedness enough. It's the same word that Jesus used hanging on the cross and dying when he quoted Psalm 22.1 and cried out what? My God, my God, why have, do you know, why have you forsaken me or why have you abandoned me? Now consider the drama of that incredible moment with, with, you know, just being here and trying to feed everybody and all. Lord, she has abandoned me. She has forsaken me. And Martha, you're being overly dramatic. It's really self-pity based. You know, why, why isn't she serving the way I serve? It goes back to that elder brother mentality. Why can't they be more like me? So you can be resentful and self-pitying, but thirdly, and, and, I, and I kept trying to think, how would I express it? You gain this sense of control that leads to disobedience, and I would even say arrogance. I want to read it one more time. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me, abandoned me to do the work by myself? And how does she end it? <laughs> Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. Now, she's already interrupted Jesus. And now she begins to direct Jesus. Tell her to help me. I find it ironic. She calls him Lord, and then she tells him what to do. Think about that. Yes, you are my Lord, but here's what I want you to do. Have we ever been there? Sure. And she tells him, Lord, fix it. Have we talked about fix it in here before once or twice? Yeah, we're a fix it kind of people. 
And we want to solve all the problems and take care of everything, but we cannot take care of everything. And that's okay. What we need to continue to focus on is Christ himself. And I love his response to to this mix, this boiling mix of emotions and attitude that Martha has. Look at verse 41. How does he begin? Martha, Martha. (laughs) You can sense him slowing down the pace just with his speech. And he says her name twice. It's the same thing Jesus did later on with Peter when he was going to tell Peter that Peter was going to deny him three times. He says, Simon, Simon. He had come on with all this bluster. I will never leave you. Uh, Simon, Simon. Does the same thing later on with Saul who had been persecuting the church. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And here it's Martha, Martha. And he goes on and says, what? You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one, which is me. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I wonder if maybe he's, maybe in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, you need to know that he's whispering your name twice. Maybe he's saying to you, you know, Jim... Jim, are you choosing what is best? Or are you so preoccupied, so lost in, so distracted by all these other matters of the world that you're losing me? You're losing relationship. I wonder if he might be whispering your name to you once or maybe twice. I like the word again that Jesus uses here. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried. There's that same sense with this word. It literally means you are partitioned or you are divided. It's that kind of worry that divides you, that kind of cuts you up. He uses that back in Matthew 6 when he talks about worry. Don't be worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, what's going to happen tomorrow. He says, don't worry about that because it divides your soul. You become fragmented. And he's using it here to talk about as we serve him. Even even as we're doing ministry, sometimes are we fragmented and are we not doing it really out of a sense of devotion, but we're doing it out of a sense of obligation or whatever motivation it might be. Peter uses the word later on in 1 Peter 5, 7 where he talks about cast your cares upon the Lord. Literally means it means cast your dividing worries upon him. I wonder if you're needing to do that this morning. You know, are, are you at the point where you have a healthy balance or have you chosen work over worship? And, and even while you work, is there a sense of devotion and passion for serving God as you do it? Or have you lost your way a bit? You've got to be very intentional to get back to this and really act upon that. Uh, some time ago, you remember when Jeffrey Church shared his uh, testimony here after he had been uh, doing mission work in China for some time. And he talked about, you know, we're great at being missional, but are we intentional? And I think at least part of what he's saying there is we can do missions all we want, but are we intentional as to why we're doing it? Because we're taking time out to reflect upon and worship and give thanks and praise to the one who is the reason why we're doing it. Are we ever doing it just out of a sense of obligation or this is what I do and I'm a hard worker, but really, are you doing it for the right motive. I remember I really troubled some people here one time when I quoted John Piper, and John has written some great stuff. He's, he's very, very reformed in his theology. He's, one, he's not a five-point Calvinist. He's a 15-point Calvinist, I would say, but he's marvelous. I don't agree with him on everything theologically, but I don't care. He's incredible. 
And he wrote one of the best books on missions I've ever read called Let the Nations Be Glad. And really the premise of the book is missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is what you and I were created to do more than anything else. We were created to glorify God. And once we get to eternity, that is all we will do. And that will be incredible. And there will be no other distractions. That's going to be an incredible moment, a long moment that never ends. And how incredible that's going to be. But John Piper is dead on when he says that worship precedes missions. Now, we are so outrageously missional here, and I love that about Brookwood. But I remember one or two people came up to me and said, are you saying worship's more important than missions? Oh, yes, yes, indeed. That's what we were primarily created to do. And sometimes you and I who want to be missional, nevertheless, are we intentional about remembering why we do it and take the time out to worship God in various ways, really in the everydayness of life, that it'll strengthen us and help us to do missions as we should? Or are you being distracted more than you are devoted, even as you serve? Jeff Walling read this passage and coined a new term for a spiritual disease, and he calls it marthaplexy. And I like that, marthaplexy. And he defined it this way, he said, Martha Plexi is attempting to gain God's approval by doing things for him when what the Lord really wants and what he needs most is for you to have fellowship with him. You know, we need to come to know him first before doing things for him. And we've and we got to do it, and we've got to sometimes shift with that intentionality back toward him because it's very dangerous for people like you and me when we get in a rut and just kind of leave Jesus himself behind. I think Rollo May, the great psychiatrist, is right. I remember reading this and it stuck with me. He said, man is the strangest creature of all. He's the only one who runs faster when he loses his own way. We can be that way. And I wonder if you and I are needing to find our way back this morning. We need to make an intentional decision to reset our priorities, to get that balance straight again between worship and work and remembering which one comes first. Now, am I saying, or you know, Am I saying, oh, you need to spend more time in prayer and in spiritual disciplines and in worship, quiet time, whatever you want to call it, than I should working? Should I put in more hours to that? Well, we live in a fallen world, and I don't even think that's possible. That would be great. And one day we will do that. But a lot of us have to work in some way, shape, or form. But what I'm saying is it is so important that you and I take time out every day to intentionally find moments to devote ourselves simply to God and focus on Him and worship Him and offer praise to Him, offer gratitude to Him, and then just mostly listen for Him. God so yearns for that, and let me assure you, He doesn't need it as much as you do. I think God can get by if you forget to glorify Him for a day. I think He's going to be okay. But He's doing that for you. That is why He set up Sabbathing, the whole idea of having a Sabbath. And I would think Sabbathing, as our uh, Jewish friends call it, should be done every day and treated holy just as you do Sunday. I remember some time ago we did that series on spiritual disciplines and it was based on that book, uh, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. And I so appreciated your response to that and I also appreciated your price transparency about it. Because a lot of you came to Tim and to me saying, you know, I've really gotten a lot out of this, but this is hard for me. I'm not wired to be this way. I am wired to be in fifth gear most all the time. Hard for me to shift back into second or first. And you're telling me that on a regular basis I've got to interrupt the stress of my day. I've got to interrupt the action in my day, the work in my day. And it's just hard to do. 
to practice these disciplines, but it is so essential and it's a key to establishing and maintaining that relationship you need with God in order to do things as you're doing them in a worshipful manner. It really makes you more ready to meet God. Now, if you want to, I want you to turn back to Exodus chapter 3, and if not, just listen to me. Because when I think about someone being met by God at work, I always think of Exodus chapter 3, and it's another very familiar passage to you, but I want you to catch something here. Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. It says this, now Moses was tending, he was working. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, actually led this flock across the desert, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. He's, He's leading the sheep across the desert and then up a mountain. He is hard at work. But look at verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. And then look at verse 4. Sometimes we miss this. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, said his name twice. And Moses said, here I am. I want you to notice how present Moses is. Look at the beginning of verse 4 again. Did God call him instantly? No, he called him because, why? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. It was when God saw that Moses took the time to see this revelation from God that God came to him and called him into an incredible new life, an incredible new calling, and enriched their relationship by thousands fold into this incredibly special relationship. But again, even as Moses was doing his job, he had the eyes of faith. His spiritual nerve endings were ready for whatever revelations that God might have for him. How often does that happen to you? Do you take time out in the course of a day to sensitize yourself all the more to how God might reveal something to you? Because often it is in those moments where God will offer you an incredible word of assurance or encouragement or guidance or clarity, whatever it is. We've got to take those moments every day. Don't allow yourself to be so distracted. I thought about this passage with Moses the other day. I read a quote by Mark Littleton. He said, does God really want us to do all of the things that scream for our attention in the 21st century of America? We may miss the burning bush even mowing the grass. God's looking for you even as you do work. So will you take the time each and every day just to enjoy being with him just as Martha did? A guy named Stuart Sachs, who is a missionary in Paraguay with the Maka Indian tribe. And one of the members of that tribe is named Raphael. And, and one day he went and just sat on Stuart's porch. And Stuart was in there eating lunch, and it was a busy day. But he kept looking out there, and he kind of got annoyed because Raphael was just sitting on the porch. And so he got up from his meal and went outside and asked Raphael, Why are you here? Uh, what do you need? And, and, and in his own native tongue, Raphael responded, Ham Hanuk Met. Ham Hanuk Met. Now, Stuart knew what that meant, but he didn't understand the significance of it. 
So he asked him again, what is it you need? What can I do for you? And again, he just said, Ham Hanuk met. And again, he understood what Raphael was saying, but he didn't understand the significance. And it literally means, I don't want anything. I have just come near. <laughs> I don't want anything. I have just come near. Well, Stuart wound up taking this over to a veteran missionary who'd been there much longer because he was confused. And this man explained, this is Raphael's way of honoring you. He doesn't want anything from you. He doesn't need anything from you. He just wants to honor you. Just wants to find satisfaction and pleasure just by being near you. Let me ask you, if God were to ask you today, what brings you here in my presence? Could you honestly say, I'm not here to get anything from you. I don't want anything. I don't need anything. I just want to be near you. Could you honestly say that that is what's on your heart right now? Is that a passion that you have ignited in yourself and that you continue to carry each and every day? And do you show that and do you discipline yourself toward that by taking time out each day to interrupt everything else, all the other distractions, and just taking pleasure in being in God's presence? And what better way, even now, to experience that as we engage in the table here with the Lord's Supper, as we touch and see and taste that which was of this final meal of Jesus. What a great way of remembering his presence with us even now. It's a beautiful picture of it. It's a beautiful, beautiful feeling of it. It's a beautiful taste of it. I'd like to ask that we prepare ourselves for this. And again, we're going to do this as we always do in the second service where we we don't pass around the bread and the drink. We come forward to receive it. And what I'll encourage you to do is, is you guys over here in this section, just you know, go out from the front rows and going on back and just, just head out toward the wall and then come around and receive the elements here. You guys in the middle section, just come down this aisle, come back around. You guys go out toward the wall, receive it, and then go back to where you're sitting. And let me, let me stress this, especially today. <laughs> don't worry about any distractions and don't worry about time. Take your time to receive the cup. Take your time to receive the bread and make your way back to where you sit and then take some time to meditate upon Christ's presence with you. Give thanks for his being with you. Savor that moment and let that be your disciplined time today where you experience his presence with you. Let us pray together. Lord, as we engage this meal together, may we slow everything else down. And may we hear you whispering our names to us twice, four times, ten times. Reminding us again what matters most. Thank you for the opportunities that we share as a tribe, O oh God, to go and serve you out in the world. But thank you also for moments like this where we can slow down and simply savor the time with you. You have already drawn near to us. May we draw near to you now as we observe your meal. We pray these things in your name. Amen.